Welcome to the Kitchen Table Podcast. My name is Sue Bradley. I have created this podcast as I love a good old yarn. Stories for me are the language of community. It is what weaves us all together. And in telling and sharing stories, we learn what makes us similar and what connects us all. Most ideas come into reality because they come from the heart of someone who wants to create change, to stand for something bigger than themselves. The Kitchen Table Podcast is where we can all come together to connect in community and listen and be inspired by our guests talking about their knowledge and experiences in nutrition, health, growing food and care of country. I would also like to acknowledge the traditional owners and ancestors of this land we now gather on, where we can celebrate together as one learning from each other through cultural practices, wisdom and law. So I invite you to grab a cup of warmth and love, find a comfortable place to relax and tune in to today's episode at the kitchen table. Hope you enjoy. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Kitchen Table Podcast. Today I am so excited to share with you a conversation I had with Sherilyn Darcy. She is a gardener with a passion for ethnobotany and botanical history and has written and illustrated 20 internationally published botanical titles. She produces and presents a live weekly two-hour gardening radio show at Home with the Gardening Gang on Coast FM 96.3 with Pete Little. And she is also the gardening columnist for weekly print and digital editions for the Coast News, the Coast Chronicle and the Pelican Post. She lives in Lake Mamora and is a garden curator of Swamp Central Coast, which is Sustainable Wetlands Agricultural Makers Project, which is based in the middle of the New South Wales Central Coast. It is a working community garden which provides community outreach programs and community garden training. So I hope you enjoy today's episode of The Kitchen Table with my beautiful friend Sherry, who we garden together very regularly and I adore her completely. Sherilyn, this is great to have you on board. So um, just wanted to welcome you to the Kitchen Table podcast by my very self, Sue Bradley, and we're just um, going to have a really cool conversation about your life and plants and community. Mm-hmm. And I don't know where to start with you. I've only, I've only known you for, oh, what, a couple of years now? And, Yay! Um, you're a bundle of surprises constantly. Your heart is the biggest heart I've ever met in someone and you just love life, gardening, plants, people. Um, it's just endless and you're just a beautiful soul. Yeah. So I'm so thankful for you to come on today and have a chat and share share your love for life with everyone and um, hopefully we can inject some inspiration to get people into their gardens, growing flowers, veggies, whatever, whatever they'd love to do. So my first question to you today, because we're called the kitchen table here, I want to know who you would invite to your kitchen table. Anyone, you could pick anyone, alive, dead, someone local, anyone. 
Do you have it? Your okay, okay. Um, well, right at the moment, because we are in lockdown at the moment, it would be my kids. So apart from that, <laughs> because I've missed them, I haven't seen them for nearly four months. Yeah. But let's put that aside. I, the most inspirational person to me, and I know this is, usually people burst out laughing when I say this, and I'm, I'm sure I might have said this to you before, is um, well, one of the most inspirational people to me is actually Martha Stewart. Now, and and I know that sounds like a, a an unusual thing. I had heard of her name before I moved to the United States that uh, twenty years ago. I lived there for a couple of years, and of course, I sort of heard about her because I loved arts and crafts and gardening and those things, and that's what you know she was into. But when I went to live in California, she was huge at that time, and she still is. And I learned a bit of, more about her and what she did in her life, and I found her fascinating and I am still a really big fan of hers even though I know the first people say didn't she go to jail for insider trading yes she did and even through that I've, I've listened to her autobiography read it as well and in her own voice it's, it's unbelievable it really is and she even describes that part of her life and how she just you know people asked her why didn't she didn't actually ask for a less sentence she didn't ask for any special treatment she actually stood there and said I was greedy I did the wrong thing I didn't go out to do anything someone said something to me and I went oh okay that sounds good and I even get I know this sounds dramatic but I even to this day when I say the story it puts a lump in my throat she even said the worst thing I did was I it was I put the lives and the livelihoods of everyone who worked for me on the line over stupidity, over greed and stupidity. And she said, and she said, I fought every day to make sure all those people still had a job, all those people were looked after. And she just said, I learnt my lesson. And I know she did other things when she was in jail to sort of um, to try to give back more to the community. But it's actually from the start of she was a model. And she could see that that wasn't going to last forever. And she did look at ways that she could, with what she had, uh, create something more. And sure, like everybody else, she's not perfect. There's stories about this and that. But I just, the inspiration of the story of a woman of her time creating something out of her love of craft, home, uh, making home and community, which is just so inspiring. And even in her worst times, you know, she was able to, you know, um, somehow make the best of it and make amends somehow, not not even for the publicity, but in her own heart. Like that's the thing. There's things that are not out in the public sphere all the time that I've read and, and, and heard about and, and things like that. And I find her incredibly inspiring. I, I just do, you know, um, warts and all. <laughs> yes. I'll come and sit yes. at that table with you. <laughs> <laughs> I think she would be funny. I think the table would be beautiful. I'd have to say, Martha, you could do it because I will never be as good as well, what, what, flower, what flowers would you put on that table? I would definitely, well, i tell you what, I know I'd have some of her favourite drinks. I even know all this shit. I'd have to have some Jack Daniels and uh, dry. <laughs> um, but I would definitely have whatever was seasonal. I would have, um, yeah, and, and in abundance. Not lots of little, little everywhere. I'd have something in ab- of one type of flower in abundance. So, you know, if it was now, I'd have beautiful sweet peas that were tonally beautiful and, and things that match in simplicity like that, but lovely. And if I wanted to go colourful as well, you know, I would still do, you know, um, things that were just lovely and inviting and comfortable as well. So yeah, yeah. I think that's 
state people sort of make their things. So she made an empire. It is now, you know, out of pretty much looking and saying this is, and it was just noticing that at the time there were people who, there were lots of magazines and things around for people that were very wealthy, like, oh, come and have this beautiful dinner party and that. And then there were things for um, people that were sort of lower socioeconomic, like, you know, how to, how to make a meal stretch, how to make a chicken stretch for six days or whatever. But there was nothing for that sort of middle class and or aspiring to. And she was like, you know, that that's, you know, the, the housewife at the time, she might have a part-time job, she might be married, and she just wants to make a lovely table with what she's got. It doesn't have a lot of money, and but it has a little bit, and a little bit of now. You might want to sew something, and she really tapped into that. And there's a lot that you can see that I think she brought back sort of almost things from the past, you know, when we used to make those things and made them more modern and accessible, and still does. And uh, but I just think it would be, and she's funny, she's a funny woman <laughs> as well. So I think it would be a warm, funny um, uh, time, you know. So I always go, that's my. I would love to meet Martha Stewart. <laughs> so I think she did change our culture, didn't she? She really did bring in a real big change to food and, and being yes. a woman in your home. Absolutely, absolutely. And having that pride in your home. But as I said, it's in that middle part. It's not necessarily, you know, I'm going out to wherever and buying beautiful antiques and doing all this sort of stuff and standing around with my poodle and, you know, it's no. And it's not, you know, it was just this thing to aspire to that and, People get it wrong when they sort of say, oh, Martha Stewart, everything's perfect. It's like, actually, she's not. Like, you, you, I don't think you actually really watch what she does and how she does it. And, and a, she's a great facilitator as well. So, I mean, I could make this whole podcast about it. <laughs> but honestly, she's a great facilitator of other people. She's helped a lot of people in the craft communities and that get their products out, their message out with what they make and create and She's very, you know, the, the different industries as well in agriculture as well. She's not popular with everybody. You know, as I said, she's not perfect at it, and, and she has views as well that can be very right-wing and I get that um, and, and they're not necessarily mine but it, it's just still I appreciate what she's done. I, I would love to have – I'd love to, look, I could even have a conversation about that. No, I, I think you would have a great conversation with her if you had her at your table. <laughs> I think you'd have yeah, three that, meals with her. I think you would have the whole day. <laughs> oh, yeah, I would mean, just like that said, I would, I would just – and that is my motto. I do say, what would Martha do? Because she's just kick you know. <laughs> she's kick-ass, that woman. <laughs> I love her. Sorry, you might have to believe me. But I would, I do. And then, I mean, people say that in the States, and I love that motto. I'm like, what would Martha do? I'm like, yeah, what would she do? <laughs> I love that story. Okay, let's yeah. get to you. I want to know because you—I haven't even properly introduced you, and you might have to—you might have to help me along because you know you've got your fingers in so many. You're a true creative. You're—you're you're an author. You're an educator, a researcher, a presenter, uh, a gardener, a community member who does a lot of voluntary work. Um, mm-hmm. You're a fam. You're a mother and a wife. Mm-hmm. You just—you know. I'm and through that, an, yes, artist. an artist. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. An environmental artist as well, yeah. yeah. So I want to know, with through your childhood, what was that that inspired you? What was There must have been some sort of moment in life to gravitate towards writing because that's something that you love to do. So what, what is it that got you into writing? The writing, okay. Um, 
I come from a very creative family. My grandmother uh, was she's fashionista. She would. My grandmother would probably be, you know, I'm not going to say Kim Kardashian. Someone very, I mean, she's just very stylish woman, very stylish woman. Um, she was a um, beauty queen back in the Bondi Beach days. Uh, that she went on and she, she did modelling and a lot of things like that. And she also was a great journaler. Like she loved to journal and write and and keep notes and had beautiful paperwork and, and just things like that. It was just lovely. And and I was I was always inspired by my grandmother's diaries and, and things and watching her do that sort of thing. Um, writing as well, I was that was that sort of piqued it. I think I can always remember that and thinking that was such a lovely thing, having a nice desk and writing. And it really was my childhood, uh, Little House on the Prairie, the television show, the whole Laura Ingalls writing in the middle of the prairie. I just thought that would be that I wanted to do that. <laughs> I would have loved to have done that. And, and uh, there's different books that I read as I went along and it was mostly the observation of nature and the observation of plants and gardening and then reading, even as when I was young, reading books uh, that people had kept that were about their gardens as well, the great garden authors, and I've read so many of them now. It's like as soon as I find a book that's like written by someone about their garden and it may seem boring to other people but it's fascinating. You know, they go through the seasons and what they've done and the people they've met, sometimes they're just collections of letters. So that really got me interested. And when I was, uh, how old was I, uh, 14, my parents, my mother remarried a couple of years beforehand and we were like the Brady Bunch, so stepbrothers, and we moved to the country and from Sydney. So it was uh, inner city Sydney, Lilyfield, and we moved out to Golgong on 25 acres and did a full-on grassroots. We had solar power. We had the whole lot my parents did. And my mum is an artist. My dad's stepfather was my dad, crazy German engineer. <laughs> and mum just grew everything. Even when we lived in Lilyfield, we had a, we were in a we had a big backyard. Mum's always grown all the herbs, all the like tons of vegetables, probably from necessity to be quite honest. Inspired by her father, my grandfather, who was a golf pro, loved his gardens and, and the classic Australian, you know, um, beautiful roses and, and things like that. So she was inspired and got her uh, garden. Not from my grandmother, there you go, from my grandfather. And then from necessity, mum grew things. So it was something we just had around us. And I found that as I was growing up, just that learning about uh, the, the writing about nature and documenting it and whether it was paintings, drawings, sketchbooks, love sketchbooks and stories and stories around plants as well. I was, as a child, the gum nut fairies, uh, the gum nut babies, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Gum nut babies. Oh. Yeah, that was amazing. Make gifts. Yeah, the magic pudding, you know, the Lindsay books. I just, I found those in the Australian bush and they were just, you know, they're just, that magical and beautiful and just so descriptive just in the simplicity of them of what it felt like to be out in the bush and I, I still to this day that I'm not a water person I'm I'm a in the bush plant forest sort of person I've just that's how I've always been I feel yeah. comfortable alive happy you know give me 10 minutes out in the garden or anywhere and I'm like it's just my whole being just feels like ah. <laughs> oh I love that yeah it's brings back memories mm. when I was a child what, reading those books of May Gibbs and it was just a beautiful 
way of um, merging a natives and Australian way and plants and caring for country. It was just such a beautiful story for children and adults. It was such yeah. a massive, you don't see it so much anymore. But, um, yeah, it's diff- different storytelling these days. It is. And I'll tell you what, saying in saying that, as you know, uh, my daughter Madison is a tattoo artist and she started because I've got the old books, my old books from childhood, and she was asking, oh, maybe it was about two or three years ago, about some old references like that because she does a lot of Australian flowers in her artwork and she picked up on those and she does a lot of tattooing. I'm like, oh, copyright, I'm not too sure, but she does a lot now and they're I thought they'd be older people my age getting those tattoos. She said, no, mum, it's my age and in their 20s they're loving it because they want Australian flowers. And it's like, oh, wow. And she's done all the little gum nut babies and the, you know, the big bag Banksia men and all this because she's just sitting there going, have a look at this. <laughs> you know? And it's becoming popular again, which is lovely. It's a lovely, you know, connection in that way. Well, let's continue that conversation about natives because, you know, Australia has just, mm-hmm. oh, I just love, and particularly this time of year, this, the native flowers are just in full bloom and the scent and the aroma of just walking through the bush. What, what, well, what is your favourite native and what, what do you love to plant in your garden that's, you know, native? Oh, okay. well, it's interesting because I just drove um, home just then and I came down... Um, I don't even know what that is. It's silly. It's the road to the entrance. This is it the entrance road? Maybe that's what it's called. And it's alive with flannel flowers right now. I was like, I was actually sitting in the car going, what are these white things? Oh, my gosh, the flannel flowers are here. And yeah. they are the, I always say they're the snowdrops of Australia. They come out at the beginning of spring. They herald, you know, the change of the weather as well. And I do know this year we've got a lot of waratahs that seem to be out a little early. They usually come out sort of late October as well. Favourite Australian flower, look, I've, this is one of those, like, there's so many of them I can't pick. No, I, I, <laughs> I tell you what, I love, because I find them intriguing, I love the spider grevilleas. I just find the the form of them and the way they seem to just, like, jump out and at you out of the thing, they're just delightful. There's something about them that just makes me smile every time I see them. And I know they just... They're lovely. They do look like a little fairy spider. I don't really like spiders, so it's an interesting thing to say that's what I like. I just think they're delightful. You know, they're just whimsical to me. There's so many different types of them, but I like the little tiny, tiny ones, and there's still lots of them in that species as well. They're just a, just a lovely thing. Uh, I have a lot of pride when I see waratahs. They remind me of home because I'm born and bred in uh, Sydney. So waratahs, even now I smile when I see them, and I think, from living overseas as well. I just had a lot of a thing about waratahs. Mm, it just reminds me of home, that beautiful red, you know. That's the, well, they're such that's, a strong – like when you look at the flower, they're so dense and they've just got this tall stalk that come oh, out. And oh. they only flower – or if do they flower once? I'm not sure, but I know that, you know, if someone picks it, it that's it. It doesn't flower. That's why I, I don't know why. Take a long time. They, they take a very, very long time to flower. That's the thing. And a lot of, um, not my story to tell, but a lot of Indigenous uh, peoples uh, find that they uh, they connect with the warrior spirit and with, uh, you know, that, that strength and courage. And that's because it takes so much for them to, to get to that big red uh, flower. And where you see them is usually in that dappled sort of darkness in little forests 
pockets and things. So, yeah, they do take they do take a long time to flower. Different species, you know, and we've mucked around a little bit of with hybridisation that they do flower more prolifically yeah. as well. Yeah, uh, they're yeah. beautiful when you walk through the bush and you see these bright red. They're like little flames in the distance. They just pop, pop, pop. These flames just floating yeah. in the bush are beautiful. And as you know, like the photos and video do not do them justice. I, I say that to people from overseas until you actually walk and, and see them in their natural positions when you walk through the bush and it's like they take your breath away. Even if you've seen them a hundred times, they're really like it's a waratah. It's like that's for you know New South Wales people as well that see them all the time. They're just yeah. really. They do, they do take your breath away, I think, you know, that's the, and, that's and, the thing. That... And I've loved because you're, you're an artist, as you as was said before, and yep. you have done some beautiful artwork on these native flowers, particularly through a lot of mm-hmm. your oracle cards and mm-hmm. books. And I just mm-hmm. love your style of art. So what, what are mediums that you use for art? Okay. Yeah, you use quite a few types. Okay, so... My first love, and this surprises sort of more um, people who've only found me sort of recently, but originally is uh, sculpture. That that is that's my that's my bag, and mostly sculpture with found objects. Absolutely love it, and I love exploring form that then describes. It's sounding a little bit arty now, but describes feeling while you're doing form. That's my thing. I discovered uh, block carving. And I like just took me back to that lino carving when we were at, at kids at school. So, what I love with a lot of my, well, I think nearly all my native um, 2D artworks is that I do it in block carving. And that's because I feel that it's very sculptural. I'm able to, and they're very sort of naive looking, they're not the really fine block carvings that you see because I don't actually draw them out. I look at what I'm doing and I just, carve it out of the block, that's it. And I like it to come however it goes. If a bit comes out, that's fine. And I'm trying to describe the feeling of the plant. So with the Waratah even, it's very, you know, and and I feel like about all the flowers in Australia, they're very uh, high energy. They're very in your face. They're unusual. They're not the pretty cottage flowers of other places. We do have some, you know, I have to admit, like the Croyas and things that could but still, even those are quite spiky leaves and things. So that kind of feeling and rawness that we have at um, sorry, sorry, <laughs> <It's> okay. <laughs> is this that is okay, live, folks? <laughs> sorry. Um, so yeah, that kind of thing. That's what I'm trying to describe: is that sculptural feeling, and then to be able to paint it afterwards. You know, after I've taken the black print from it, and then I like to paint it and. You know, I've had criticism as well as, you know, tons of people, you always get criticism when you're an artist and author, whatever, that comes with the territory because you can't please everybody. Mm-hmm. And um, criticism I've had is, oh, they look really raw, um, what is it, the colours are very garish, you know, and full. But that's, to me, that's the feeling of it, you know, that's what I'm trying to describe. It's it's a type of expressionism, I guess, you know, it's just what I want to do to describe yeah. them. And uh, if you get it, you get it. But that's like any art, you know, I don't get <laughs> some something but I work in lots of mediums in fact I all of them I'm doing a lot of watercolor at the moment um you know sketch I always sketch sketch every day people who want to get into uh art and and observing nature I'm always like you've got to have a sketchbook and just forget if you can't you think you can't draw you've just got to do it and and keep little notes and things like that but and then you know I come back to sculpture all the time so just that the problem with sculpture is you need 
space to put things. <laughs> That's the thing. And I've sold a lot of sculpture that's gone around the place. I did small scale sculpture. Uh, I've done a couple of larger pieces for companies and uh, competition and things like that, but I haven't done a big one for a while. And big, I've never done anything more than I think what is big. Yeah, maybe maybe I'm trying to think about eight foot tall. That's about it. So yeah, I'm not a great big. <laughs> You know, they like are. those big, you know, the ones that stand out very, um, yeah, yeah. Too long. And, and I use, when I do sculpture, I use uh, recycled uh, things. When I uh, do all the rest of my art, I use uh, the most sustainable things I can. I reuse everything, even my palettes and that. I water things down and, and use that as dyes for things. And I, I have a sustainable practice. That's, that's always been the heart of it. So when people also say, well, what does an environmental artist mean? Does that mean uh, you, you know, draw about, draw and paint the environment? Well, I do, but also I've always been like that. And I've had some things that people have given me. That's the other thing, you know, art products that people don't use anymore. It's like, I don't want to see that acrylic paint end up in landfill so sure I'll use that you know yeah. <laughs> that's it you know, and a lot of and I've done textiles and going back to the Martha Stewart thing I love craft I just I love craft and I think there's a bit of snobbery at times about craft and uh and but I think that the two can meld over and there's a lot of crossovers I think if you're a creative you don't actually need to put those labels on everything I think there's as much art in my making a woven basket out of raffia as there is in me creating a sculpture out of found objects or painting a piece in watercolour. It's uh, it's the creative process of it. That sounds, yeah. that sounds yeah. weird. <laughs> no, well, you're, you're involved, um, going back a bit, I know this about you, that you're part of the uh, Manly Environment Centre. So, that you know, that was a big part of your life. Um, and yeah. even before that, I think when you were living overseas, so, yeah, you've got a heart yeah. for the environment. A big yeah, I've always been involved in environmental initiatives and projects and centres and things. And, and always, whenever I've been involved, I've been able to involve my art some way as well. So it's been a bit funny since I've lived on the Central Coast, which is my forever home now, and I've been here five years, that I actually, I haven't really, I've been doing art for myself, but I haven't actually stepped into doing art or facilitating anything here but I've gone more into my writing and my and then learning uh, radio presenting as well because I've been interviewed so many times, <laughs> but I, I haven't been on the other side and creating. And that sprung about because of Smog, really, you know, getting into that. And uh, I don't know, I think it was at the radio a little bit before Swamp, wasn't it? But it was about sharing gardening because I've always done community gardening for a long time. So to me, the natural progress, progression, other than just, my books and cards for people was also sharing more of the day-to-day things about gardening, you know, uh, in my way as well. So there's a lot of stuff out there about gardening. I guess I'm a middle-of-the-road gardener. I'm an organic gardener and that, you know, I just like sharing what I, I do. That's, that's my whole drive for life. And yeah. uh, the art's always there. I do it all the time, whether that's going to – you know, it's like everything in life, it swings around about and something's more focused at the time. You can't do, you can do everything, but you can't, no, you can do anything, but you can't do everything yeah. <laughs> all at the same time. I that, it, well, it's such a, a reflection of who you are because it's your love. Like you just follow what you love huh. and, you know, hmm. it just then in, goes out through your art or your community work, radio, um, 
but you're by working with people you're inspiring uh, them in so many ways but you're pursuing your heart so you all that you do is pretty much your love of yeah. life stuff yeah well, I know there's a lot said when people interview me about uh, my community work as well. Oh, you're so good because you do community work. And it's like, I don't see it like that. I think community work's been good to me. I'm, you know, been a Navy wife, lived around the world, or in America, not all around the world, but around the place. But my husband's been away a lot as well. And I haven't had family around me. And, in that, and to make friends and make connections and get in there because I didn't have traditional jobs. You know, I was an artist working at home by myself or I had part-time jobs doing things where the people that I was working with, lovely people, but they just weren't, you know, they weren't artists like me or creatives, so they weren't like friends. So I found those friends when I volunteered at places like environment centres. I mean, I was even a girl guide leader once because why? Because nobody else would do it and I love the bush. And I wanted to go out and do things with the kids. So I put my hand up and I made lots of friends. And I found that it was, as soon as I went overseas, it was the first thing I did. I went and volunteered in the interests that I had because I found friends with like-minded interests. And I did the same thing here. And my big goal as well, I feel like later later on in life, whatever it is, to inspire more people to do volunteer work because it, it honestly, it sounds like a cliche, but I'm telling you now, I've done a lifetime of it, it gives you so much more, so much more than you will ever give out, ever. You know, I've learned now to be a radio presenter, how to panel, how to use all this equipment, you know, that I had no idea. I've got my own radio show, I write my own, uh, and that's all voluntary, but I've I also made friends. You know, I walk into the radio station and I've actually got good friends that I would ring up and talk to about things. And community gardens, oh, my gosh, there's an instant. There you go. There's a family. (laughs) Well, that's how we are now. You know, that's the thing. So it can be scary at first and, you know, you can, you know, what am I going to do? I don't know what to give. But just, just turning up, just showing up at some of these things, it's like there's, you don't have to do anything but just be there usually. That's the whole thing. It's And and then you'll find your way afterwards. So um, when people make a thing of it, I'm like, it was survival for me and it's made me happier because I met a lot of people in my situation as well who were forever bitching about how life had, you know, was awful because, you know, their husbands were away, they didn't know anyone, they were stuck somewhere. And I just never wanted to be like that. And I thought, you've got to go out and do something about it. And you, you just meet the quality people, that the, the quality of people that you want to be with. I'm not saying quality as a good quality, but as in, if that, you know, your interest might be playing poker, you know, like, and if that's it, go and join a poker club, you know, like seriously, like that is how you do it. And, and that you might not even know about it, but you will learn about it. And that's the thing is just making that move and doing something. So, uh, yeah, that's what I always say. It's given me so much more and done so much good for me and personal growth, uh, you know, friendships, uh, connection to community, opportunities, job opportunities as well, just everything, you know. So, you see um, the impact on others through that work as well. Uh, you know, that that's for me the gift that you see, you know, because you're doing something because you love, but when you see how that you're connecting with other people in your community and making friends and family that are pretty much long life family because when you're in something that you're all doing together that's purposeful and you love but when you see the impact that you have on others it's just incredible 
See, I have this, um, and I'm going to go a little bit controversial here at the moment, but I see this, I suppose, in the spirituality kind of field. There's a lot of talk about finding your purpose and finding what that passion is and finding it and getting there. But it seems to be always finding it within four walls. It really is. It's like sitting down, working out what it is that you, it's like, I'm like, go out there. <laughs> Just get out there. It's not about you because you will find it when you're around all these other people. And it might change a little bit, you know, around it, but there's a heart of it. And you start with what are you interested in? Like, that's all a passion is. Like, what do you like? Oh, I like plants. I like being outside in nature. Guess what? There you go. It's like gardening, art to do with plants, talking about gardening on the radio, writing about it. Easy. There you go. It's not hard. And then as far as purpose is concerned, there you go. Community gardens, doing all those things as well. And those people come in, you make the networks, and it's so easy to do. It is no, it's not sitting down. I mean, I love journaling, but it's not sitting down you know, by yourself wondering because you will find your purpose when you connect with other people and they'll find your purpose for you, you know. Yeah. <laughs> who knew, like where with Swamp, who knew that we would be connected with an Indigenous Rehabilitation Centre making that amazing connection, them actually opening our eyes up to different things, us helping them do things as well. There's a purpose. There is a purpose that we've got and we would never have found if I sat there and went, I wonder who I should help today. <laughs> because those people will come to you. Like, you know, that's the thing. I know. That's the beauty of work in the community. You just never know what's going to happen. That's the thing. It's just trusting your journey and following your heart and just being open, like those heart connections. I think that's – and commu- yes. community is a, a living thing. It's an alive thing that mm-hmm. moves and grows together and it's and no, there's no ownership in it and that's the beautiful thing about working community. It's a collective and you learn so much. Yeah, Yeah, and there is no ownership and there is no – and you need to be able to leave that at the door as well. You need to completely – it's not about you. It's about – it it, it is about that whole community thing and being a part of it. And once you understand that and have that feeling, you don't care about the other stuff. You don't care about I need to be here and be the guru and tell everybody what to do. I don't care. It's like – you know, our gardening show, I mean, I'm sitting here at the moment writing up because uh, we do a couple of uh, recorded interviews. And I'm, we have five people that come on and I've just got another person that's coming on to talk, a regular guest that, sure, I could sit there and, and, and do the whole two-hour show, give all the information and be like, here I am, I'm sitting here doing it all. However, you know what's so cool is ringing someone up saying, I know you like pot plants, could you? You know, can we interview you every once a month about pot plants and they're in the community and they're like, oh, my God, I've just started a business. Oh, my God, this is great. And it's not – and you don't know how that pays off, like, around the thing. And it's like because you've got to take it away. It's not just about you. It's about your community. And then the whole – what you've created there, the same as Swamp where we have, you know, different people in there, it's just so much more, you know. Yeah, you said it well. It's creating opportunities for people, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's about creating yeah. opportunities that, you know, some people may not be able to see on their own, but to have that when you've got an established sort of community space, it's just inviting yep. people in and, hey, like you do, say, hey, anyone have any better skills than I do? Come on, you know, 
join us. Or... Yeah, you've got to be really honest with yourself. You've got to put yourself out there, be really honest with yourself and uh, and be ready to, to be wrong, be ready to listen to other people and let them in, let the light shine on them as well, let yeah. that all go and be confident in yourself that you that, that it's okay. It's, as I said, it's like, well, I would have never, if you just said to me three years ago, Cheryl, and you're going to have like, this really popular two-hour radio show, live, it's going to be all this, I would have just laughed and gone, you know, it's going to be ridiculous. And it was only, and here it is, a conversation with, I was getting interviewed a lot, a conversation with lovely Charlie from uh, Far North Queensland ABC Radio, had an interview with me, I've done a few with her, and she said, you know what, you should really seek out being on radio yourself. I think you'd be good. And then she said, why don't you try community radio? So I was like, oh, I don't know. And my mother was very much like, you, you need to do that. You need to do what Charlie said. So she pushed me. And I was up in Cairns at the time. So that's where my parents are. And I came back and th- there you go. And it went from a, what we were a 10-minute spot. Then it was a one-hour spot. And this year, two hours. But the same thing, it was somebody being generous enough saying, I've, and also I've got a contact down there, you need to talk to lovely Pete Little. And she was being really generous, you know, saying these are the contacts of what she can do and uh, being community-minded like that. Or she could have just sat there and just gone, yep, thanks a lot for giving me all this. See you later, you know, not hang on, you know. <laughs> that she's got something to say and to share and you could help your community. That, that was her thing. And, uh, and as we know that from you and I met Costa and uh, he was just amazing and, at the time, he gave me a very, very good uh, talking to about things. And he said, you know, all communities, Australia needs lots of Sherilyns who are on, because I was surprised that he he was even interested in the fact that I had a radio show because he's like, oh, you had a radio show. I was like, oh, yes, it's not like that in Australia. And he said, listen, no, you know, no, no, the, the whole of Australia needs lots of Sherilyns to be writing in the newspaper, talking about local issues with gardening. He goes, oh, I can't tell you exactly like where's the best place here. I could if I was here for a bit. He said, but this is what we need. And he was so generous like that. And yeah, and that's the other thing is to get to that point, I guess, like he is to be a mentor and hopefully, you know, and that's not something you seek. I, I'm sure, you know, you just end up once you're, you know, you try to be a mentor just by being generous and sharing. That's, that's how I look at it. Anyway. And you are a true mentor, you know, because life is a journey and when you're young, you, you're learning and you're learning and you're trialling, experimenting. But as you grow older with all these experiences, then you can step into this role and <laughs> you've got such a beautiful way of mentoring. I don't think you even realise you mentor, but... Um, <laughs> But, you know, because you've been gifted with all these wonderful people in your life, you know, this has given you such a blessing that you can now, you can step into that same role for other people. And I see it happen with you all the time. You're such a, a light in our community. And that love, just leads me to say you have been nominated for a community award too recently. Yeah, yeah, I've been nominated for a couple, I know. <laughs> so I've kept that, kept that sort of thing, which are, yeah, the uh, volunteer awards, which is lovely. So that's nice. And, uh, and I'm also very proud that our show, uh, I don't know if you know this, uh, so At Home with the Gardening Gang on Coast FM has been nominated as Best New Radio Show for Australia, for community radio stations, of which there are a lot of community radio stations. So we were just, we're blown away by that nomination. So that's been, that's been fantastic. Yeah. But I can't, I 
find these things exciting. They are, but they're, look, and I know you hear people say this, but it's good. It's like, yeah, that's cool to be nominated and it does give you a little thrill on that, but the work has to get done all the time. And I, to be honest, I get, I really do, and I know this sounds like I'm being like, yes, but I get such a thrill when somebody says to me, thank you so much for doing that show, that radio show or that writing the newspaper, because finally someone's writing about our local things. You know, they're so that localism is so. Oh, I need to even my books and things like. Isn't this fantastic? It's in France and it's woo, and it is exciting still. I have to admit, but to be able to be part of the community and do something where you can see straight away that that is just to me like wow, that's gold, and and it gives that gives me a huge thrill because I think I'm doing something right. That's great. And they're getting something from it. We get a lot from that. So that to me is success that people are going, ah, oh, thank you so much. You know, it's an um, acknowledgement, it's, isn't it? It's just really lovely. Acknowledgement, to be acknowledged. Yeah. yeah. That we're not just we're not just sitting there going, you know, we love gardening, we're just talking about it. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I think you teach Pete a bit, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, when that show, the thing is, well, we didn't have radio uh, gardening shows always work better which I've learnt now, a lot of shows work better when there's two people, so there's a conversation. And Pete Little is an Australian radio, commercial radio legend, and he's a station manager. And when I started there, there was no one to be with me and I didn't know how to panel. So it was just this, look, I'll panel and I'll talk with you. And the formula works. Yeah. And apparently, I am told that apparently um, uh, there was a couple of, gardeners back in the day and I'm trying to think if it was um Shirley, I think it was Shirley Stackhouse her co-star co-host sorry probably wasn't a star also was someone who didn't know how to garden but was doing the paneling and and providing the conversation and that worked really well and that's what works well Pete uh doesn't garden at all and I do so the comment you know he's asking me questions and he's and he's a funny bloke as you know you listen and the humor you know, comes out of it, and, and I like a good joke, so that's okay. But he's asking questions without even knowing it, I think, that people sitting there are actually thinking in their head, you know, it's like, and, and pulls me back when I'm rabbiting on about this and that, and he'll go, but hang on a minute, hang on a minute. Yeah, he's, <laughs> and representing, he'll, he's representing the listeners yeah. in a way. Yeah, it's, he does it very, very well, and he's uh, been incredibly, and again, when you talk about community and mentors, um, you know, he's incredibly generous with his training. And when I listened back to tapes when I started 18 months ago, I'm like, oh, my gosh. And, not, and I still cringe a bit now sometimes. He's really taught me radio presence, and, and I know the technical things now, but how to uh, talk to listeners over the air like that when you're not in front of them. Because I've taught for such a long time. I've taught arts and crafts and gardening in person and it's such a different thing and I've done television as well and it's just such a different thing obviously on the radio because you, as you can imagine you're talking about gardening and you can't show people <laughs> I know you can be very verbally um, descriptive yeah, yeah. And, and to be honest I was like because I'd been interviewed I thought that was okay but yeah to be the person providing all the information but it works beautifully it, it really actually it does so it, it's amazing because people I think when they're listening to the radio it's more about how they feel you know they want to feel happy and gardens a happy thing and have solutions and inspirations and they don't necessarily need the imagery to do that. 
No, well, because most of the people that be le- listening would already be gardening and just love to tune in to um, what you're doing and how to ha- some tips of how to do things. So what are some really great ideas for now and leading into spring? And okay. before this call, we were talking about your beautiful box that's just arrived of seeds. <laughs> I'm <still laughs> like, my box. It was like Christmas like... had arrived. But, yeah, so oh, really? what are some spring tips that we can um, you can share? I see. <laughs> I see. Okay, the spring tips right now. The first thing you've got to do, and I know you're you're you absolutely are online with this, is your soil. You know, we we do at this time of the year run out and buy the seeds, and or a bit like some of the bogs, but we run out and do all that, all the little seedlings, and want to just bang them in, and we just think to ourselves, oh, we're just throwing a bit of blood and bone or some whatever, you know, and it'll be right. But no, 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 no. Before any any of my seeds arrive. I've already gone out there and I put uh, manure, I like cow manure, I put that in, well-rotted manure with, uh, you know, worm castings and compost. And I've really looked at, I've taken out my winter crops. I've gone, okay, that broccoli is just not going to head up again. So it's gone. (laughs) And I've uh, enriched the soil. I've checked my soil and pH levels as well. I've made a, I don't really write down a whole plan, but I've made a plan in my head of what I'm going to plant this year, (laughs) all these things. And I've already started, and it's not too late now, uh, putting things, I like growing things from seed. So I've already started growing things from seed because you can never get everything you want either from um, from seedlings. And I like to support a lot of these seed-saving companies, and that's something I, I do save seeds myself, but I really want to move with swamp right into seed-saving. I think that's vital and very, very important. And so at the moment my tips are, yeah, get your soil right, enrich it also work out make sure you don't grow tomatoes in the same spot as you did last year that's just a beginner's one that's why because <laughs> people forget about that you've got to be about three years between and um, they're nitrogen hungry and they're also uh some of the bacteria that you mightn't have even noticed might be in the soil as well they won't affect other things but they will affect tomatoes so do all that make sure that your all your tools because you're going to start using them probably a bit more are clean and sharp too and just, you know, have fun. So, yes, get the soil ready. Uh, get your seeds because things are going to run out as well uh, pretty quickly. I know a few of the tomato seeds I wanted are gone already from different places, okay. but I hadn't got from the heirlooms as well. What else can you – yeah, just – and don't go – even though I'm sitting here with this great big box of seeds, but I have a community garden, the swamp, <laughs> to, to grow my seeds. Don't go too big too early. Like, just pace yourself as well. People get a little bit like, spring's coming ah plant everything but just pace yourself and also pace yourself to do successive planting I think lots of people will put put in all the tomatoes they think they're going to use and all the radishes and all get into successive planting and by that I mean you plant your crop and then you don't plant the next seeds the next seedling to you know three or four weeks later so that when harvest comes over summer you're then getting things or whenever harvest is you've got a nice steady supply instead of having a glut all at once and I don't see enough successive planning happening, to be quite honest. So, and I mean, it's fine, of course, with a glut. You can share, you can preserve, you can do things like that. But I think learning how to plan right ahead so that you've got fresh veggies, which have obviously they've got the most nutrient-dense um, capacity in them. So really trying to get that with your lettuce as well, things like that. So don't, don't go all out. Uh, too early you can buy your seeds and store them you know and um and then plant them out as you go you don't have to do them all at once yeah what's the best way to store seeds 
best way, cool, dry, cool, dry, dark place. That's it. That's the best way to yeah. do them. So well, with some in the fridge. Some are okay in the fridge as well. Just ha- have a look, like um, test it out. But definitely, you know, like in full sun, humidity and all that, you don't want that. So Yeah, well, we're uh, sort of, I got- swamp, we've been promoting Seed September uh, in conjunction with Farming Secrets, who um, we're sort of friends with down in Victoria. But, yeah, oh, yeah, what is it that you love about seed, you know, the importance of keeping seed banks, you know, for the future? It's incredibly important because we've already seen it now that so many plants are extinct now and not just some of the food plants as well. So, uh, have, and people have tried to bring them back when they've found plants and things like that. But also look at what's just happened with us uh, humans. We've had this horrible pandemic happen. It's affecting people in different ways. I think it's an indication, and this is without getting all over dramatic, but it's an indication how one thing can affect a whole species. Now, it's happened many times before to species of plants and trees and very important plants where a disease has wiped out an entire, you know, oh, there's always problems with lily pillies, for example. That You know, they're, they're, this has happened so often through the world. It's happened, you know, when we couldn't do anything about it. So saving the seeds, we, we can't make these medicines and these deterrents and natural things to save plants when that happens, if a new pathogen comes along or, or a, a new in, um, introduced uh, insect or, or whatever it is. So the importance of seed bank saving is that at least we've got the seed so that we can accept. We might even have to pause planting those things at the moment because of this pathogen or whatever it is that's happening. We might have to pause, but we've got a seed bank so we can plant it again in the future. It's vitally important. and also. Um, you know, over the last hundred years or so, we we just don't eat as many of what is edible out there. And we've also come so divorced from even trying other things as well. So it's an interesting way to ensure that uh, we call an heirloom, I guess, vegetables and plants and things like that. But they're, you know, they're not really heirloom. They're just part of us, you know, they're part of nature. So to be able to have that greater variety as well uh, is just so important and you know going back to we mightn't be able to grow every single one but but it's available there and it's kept there for some reason and as they find all the time there might be something in a plant that that might be a bit rare or it mightn't be in vogue at the moment that proves to have some sort of compound in it that might fight cancer disease and things like that and if it's gone you know too bad or there's only five plants left but having the seeds you know, we might find um, a similar species and it might be like, this is interesting. Oh, what about the giant, whatever, Patagonian lipped orchid, you know, <laughs> that probably might even have more of that compound. So it's very, very, very important to understand that we need to look after those things, not even for ourselves, but as that legacy for the future as well. That's, that's so important. We don't want to lose these things. We've lost so much. Mm. We just we can't afford to anymore, you know. Yeah. It's, it's vital. I'm so with that, you know, we don't value seed. A lot of us take them for granted, you know, seed is life. And it's such a miracle when you can see, when you get those packs of seeds and they're just these little, yep. they look dead, but they're just these little seeds. And once you give them a nutrient like water, sun, and, you know, those vital nutrients in the soil, yep. it comes to life. Like, you know, that's what gardening does, I think, for myself is just witnessing the beauty of and the strength of life. 
and that yeah. connection yeah. connection to plants oh. and the land you know it's just incredible and even even you know even if i don't even know if it is woo woo but you can feel that energetic sort of shift when you're with in a garden and you're part of that whole process like seriously you we've just had the, some cabbage from the swamp you know and it's just it's amazing you know growing this getting the seeds we put them in and you know while i'm eating it i actually wasn't you know outwardly thinking I was talking about all these other things and as I was eating that cabbage I was actually thinking I remember that day when we were sitting there with the with the young fellows from Youth Connection planting those cabbage seeds I had this flashback of doing it you know and it's like and I smiled I was sitting there going you know and and that's this whole cycle of like sharing community gardens and doing things like that and and that that it's just a lovely thing and you know I don't know, it just made me feel, you know, it, it's more wholesome, you know, I'm eating this cabbage that we all grew together. And I know that can, some people are like, I'm turning off now. But, no, it really is a, a happy feeling. You know, even if you, you know, as I was saying, I'm not going too far, woo, but it is a happy feeling doing that. I mean, who hasn't? Well, maybe some people these days, but, you know, there are great memories of mine of, of going to friends even places and then saying, I mean, sure, everybody has, oh, I grew even this, I don't know, basil. You know, you're like, oh, you know, and it's just, don't tell me you just sat there and gone, oh, yeah, whatever. I mean, seriously, you know, it's like, oh, it's kind of without even the taste or anything. It's- mm, yeah. Well, mm. I reckon we could talk all day, and I just wanted to, um, <laughs> but I want to, I want to finish off if I can, and hopefully you'll have something, and I'm getting phone calls, which is quite annoying. Um, but what is your, like, do you have a favourite inspirational quote you want to end our conversation with? Oh, my gosh, yes. I have a tattooed on my arm. You've probably seen it and not asked me this. <laughs> yeah, I, I did. It. You've got a tattooed on your arm. Woo! <laughs> you have to read it's it to me. I do. Passion decides fate, okay. It is, uh, I absolutely adore, I, obviously I do because I have a tattoo right up my forearm. <laughs> like, I've had it a long time, that one. Uh, passion decides fate. It is my favourite quote and it makes me stop and think. And it's not just about things that are, you know, passionate and make you happy in the positive, passionate things. Passionate, positive passion will decide because what you focused your passion on, of course, but also it's a warning not to become overly passionate about things that are destructive, negative, you know, to, and I can do that like a lot of people can. I can really focus on the negativity of something and think, oh, no, this is terrible, it's, you know, and that is that, that also will decide my fate. So, you know, I always remind myself that passion, where I put my passion, will decide my fate. I so, I, uh, yeah. That is a really powerful That's- quote. And who, do you remember who that's from? Yes, I do, absolutely. So this comes from my time of living in San Diego and it was a, Frida Kahlo, the artist, wrote to her then boyfriend, um, Diego Riviera, and he said, she said, what does it take, this is before she became well-known, what does it take for people to see my art? And he said, you've got to remember, and I don't think you do, that passion will decide your fate and she said but I am a passionate person and he said but where are you putting your passion yeah so I was like ah. yeah. and I read that and said that is just you know so uh yeah I definitely it's so funny because I know they're everywhere because they're, they're you'll have to repeat that oh my gosh you'll have to tell us tell for some some people not watching this on zoom they're watching this um 
Well, listening to it. What were you doing <laughs> just then? I was pulling out my nightie. I'm gonna. I'm actually sitting here in a nightie, a Frida Kahlo nightie. That's it. I'm like. Oh, Sherilyn, it's been such a pleasure. I've loved chatting to you, as I always do. So much fun. And I I would love to do a part two sometime because there's so much I wanted to talk about spirituality with plants and energy and that side of your work. But maybe we'll have to get that one down again sometime soon. Love to. Thanks, Sherilyn. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye, Sherilyn. Thanks for tuning in to The Kitchen Table today. Hope you enjoyed the conversation and it inspires a new conversation around your own kitchen table with friends and family. Till next time, peace and plants.